a young man who was a Christian was out hiking one day in the woods when he came across a angry bear. And that's never good. The, the bear stood up on its hind legs, which is really bad, and growled ferociously, clearly getting ready to attack. And in a panic, the young man, the hiker, began to run but the bear followed pretty close behind and was pretty fast. And finally, where the hiker ran, there was a cliff. And he couldn't go any further, so he dropped to his knees. He asked God to help him. He asked God, please make this bear a good Christian bear. And he was surprised when the bear suddenly stopped growling and fell to his knees and folded his paws in front of him. And began to pray. And the Christian hiker exclaimed, Thank you, Lord. And the bear said, Thank you, Lord, for this meal I'm about to receive. <laughs> well, last week we started a series on prayer called Teach Us to Pray. We read how the followers of Jesus asked him to teach them to pray. And I really think that when they asked... They really expected Jesus to teach them a new prayer, a memorized prayer, a prayer that they could use to uh, impress other people with. And of course, he taught them to pray using the model prayer, or what we now call the Lord's Prayer. And many have memorized that. I, I memorized that prayer as a child, and we prayed it sometimes in church. We sang it other times as we've done today. And yet, I have to admit that many times I mindlessly repeated the words without really thinking about what I was saying to God in those moments. The Lord's Prayer is a good prayer to memorize, and it can help us to pray when we just don't have words to pray. Yet, they are not the only words that we should pray. Jesus prayed a lot. He prayed for hours at a time, and I am certain that he didn't spend hours repeating these exact same words. Prayer is not about saying the right words. Prayer is about a conversation that we have with God, and uh, it's communicating with God. And just as communication is key in any healthy human relationship, so prayer is an important part, a healthy part of our relationship with God. And so we're spending several weeks looking in depth at the model prayer, at the Lord's Prayer, and learning from Jesus how to pray. Last week, we started with a message from uh, Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8, where Jesus begins by teaching his followers how not to pray. And I hope you'll go back and listen to that message if you missed it. But we also, last week, gave out these bracelets and um, they, uh, there are some available in baskets at the door, so if you didn't get one last week, I hope that you will get one today. It says, 
pray at 3.30. We challenged everyone to join us in prayer for our church and for what God wants to do in our community every day at 3.30. And the bracelet says to pray at 3.30, so we want you to set your alarm on your device or uh, on your watch so that you will be reminded just to pray. It might be a sentence, it might be a paragraph, it might be a half an hour, but let's pray together at 3.30. And you're wondering why 3.30? That's our address here. You're sitting at 330 Hookstown Grade Road, so we thought that would be a good reminder to pray for the church. Now, I have locked down 330 in the afternoon, so some of you need to lock down 330 in the morning for prayer, okay? But uh, no, let's, uh, whichever 330 works for you, pray with us that God will move in a mighty way through our church and through this community. And uh, today... We're just going to move forward, and we're going to look at the first part of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to talk about praying to know Him. And if you are one who, like me, memorized the Lord's Prayer, can we just begin by reciting the Lord's Prayer together? Make it a prayerful expression of your heart to God, but let's recite it together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is the prayer that Jesus uses to teach them to pray. And you will notice that the prayer he prays really focuses first on God. It focuses first on God. It focuses on knowing God better and understanding him. The first part of Jesus' prayer reminds us to take him seriously. It reminds us to take him seriously. Look at verse 9 of Matthew 6. So when you pray, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name always be kept holy. As you can see, this part of the prayer is totally focused on God. It reminds us of two important ways that we can take God seriously. First, define your relationship. Define your relationship. We talked about this some last week, and I don't want to uh, repeat it all here, but as Jesus teaches us to pray, he wants us to take seriously our relationship with him and his relationship with us. He says he is our father. Now, today we, re we routinely refer to God as Father. And like I said last week, that would not have been the case for people in Jesus' day. Je Jewish people in that day might have known God as the Father of all mankind. And they definitely would have thought him as the Father of Israel, his chosen people, but they would not have addressed him personally as their Father. They would have considered that too familiar too presumptuous. In fact, when Jesus did claim a father-son relationship with God, the people who heard him were pretty upset. One time, after healing a paralyzed man in Jerusalem, he referred to God as, quote, my father. 
And the Jewish leaders were horrified. And the passage says, after that, they tried harder to kill him. They said that he was calling God his own father, and therefore he was making himself out to be equal with God. And of course he was. But what I don't want you to overlook is John chapter 1 also tells us that all who receive Jesus, who believe in his name, Jesus gives us the right to become children of God. To become children of God. We have been adopted into his family, and so we are his children. God is our father. So we recognize God as our dad, as our father, as a good and loving father, and we talk to him a way, the way that a child can talk to their dad. We also expect him to respond in a way that a father would respond to his children and to the children that he loves. The second way that we take God seriously is we define his rightful place. We define his rightful place. This is the tension that people feel. Sure, he's our father. He's our dad. But God is also in the heavens above all things. He is the creator of the universe. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. He is always present. And he is completely holy. Completely holy. In the King James Version, and the way we sang it, the way that we just said it, the way most of us memorized it, the passage says, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. Now, hallowed is an old word, and it means to be considered holy or worthy of respect. In the Gettysburg Address, President Lincoln said this, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground, for it has already been hallowed by the blood of the men who gave their lives on this soil. Hallowed. Jesus says, when you pray, pray, hallowed be your name. What we are praying is that we can remember and that everyone uh, can see and can understand. Everyone on earth will recognize that God is holy, that he is worthy of respect, that he is to be valued above all others. In other words, we begin our prayer by putting God in his place. He is first place. He is above all. We pray, God, may I and everyone else on earth recognize that you are holy, that you're awesome, that you are first that you are number one. But we struggle with these two truths. He is great and awesome and holy, and he's also my dad. He's also my father. A passage in Isaiah 57 seems to embrace both of these truths. Look at what it says in verse 15 of Isaiah 57. God is high and lifted up. He lives forever. His name is holy. He says, I live in a high and holy place, but I also live with people who are humble and 
sorry for their sins. I will give new life to those who are humble in spirit. I will give new life to those who are sorry for their sins. He is high and lifted up. His name is holy. He lives in the highest and the holiest places. But he also lives among people who are humble and sorry for their sins. This great and mighty and all-powerful God of the universe gives new life to humble sinners like me. To humble sinners like you. You see, one of the ways that God is holy is this. He wants to help us correct sin, not just condemn sin. He wants to forgive more than he wants to punish us. He wants to forgive us more than he wants to punish us. Jesus goes on with the prayer, and in uh, Matthew 6, he says this. He reminds us that when we pray, we should take his priorities seriously. We should take his priorities seriously. So we began our prayer by taking him seriously, by defining our relationship, by putting him in his rightful place in our life. Now we have the complete attention of the God of the universe, our Father. And so we have his attention and he asks us, what is it that you most want? What is it that you most want? What was your first thought? A new SUV, a bigger house, the latest electronics, a a resolution to that situation at work or at home, healing for a friend, maybe peace and justice for the world. Now Jesus, who is the master of prayer, gives us some advice. He says, before you ask for anything else, ask this, may your kingdom come. That's it. May your kingdom come. Now, why does Jesus say that? Why does he start the requests with this? I mean, he teaches them to pray this way in the Sermon on the Mount. And in the same sermon, Jesus tells them that the Father gives good gifts to his children. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So clearly, Jesus encourages us to ask boldly for what we want and what we need. So why does he say, start by asking your kingdom come. May your kingdom come. Well, I think it's because when we ask for God's kingdom to come, everything else falls into place. Everything else falls into place. The world is just made right and our needs are met as well. It's not in the notes on uh, you version, but it is on the screen behind you. And towards the end of the chapter that Jesus teaches this prayer in, Jesus says, seek first God's kingdom and what God wants. Then all your other needs will be met as well. Seek first God's kingdom and what God wants. Then all your other needs will be met as well. Jesus promises when God's kingdom comes, our needs will be taken care of and much more. 
So what exactly is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is not a place. It's God taking his position as king, as ruler of our life. And it's every other power in submission to him as king. It is his influence and his heart and his love spreading throughout the world one person at a time. It is people finding hope as they allow Jesus to be the ruler of their life. Look at how Isaiah 9 describes his kingdom. Power and peace will be in his kingdom and will continue to grow forever. He will rule as king on David's throne and over David's kingdom. He will make it strong by ruling with justice and goodness from now on and forever. The Lord all-powerful will do this because of his strong love for his people. Now kings can be good or they can be evil. But our king, our leader, our ruler rules with justice and goodness. He uses his power to bring peace into our lives. And notice that he does all of this out of his strong love for us. His strong love for his people. Don't you want that kind of kingdom? Don't you want that kind of kingdom? I mean, aren't you tired of the broken promises and the divisiveness and the corruption of our politics? Don't you want a strong king that rules with justice and goodness? Well, the good news is when we decide to let Jesus be the leader of our lives, he becomes our king and we live in a kingdom full of peace and harmony and forgiveness and love. Oh, it, it's not free of pain. It's not even free of battles. And it's not free of dis disappointment. But he gives us peace. His kingdom is a kingdom of peace. And his kingdom is also global. It's global. God's kingdom is huge. It's so huge that the Bible says one day... Every person on earth, every knee will bow before King Jesus. Some of us will bow with joy in worship, praising him for his leadership in our life. Others will bow in terror and grief because they refused to make him the leader of their life. They refuse to make him the leader of their life. And um, if he's king, and he is, then his priorities matter. His priorities matter. So what are his priorities? Well, one priority that is absolutely clear throughout all of scripture is it is God's will for no one to perish but for everyone to find forgiveness and to come to faith. His priority is for people who are far from God to cross the line of faith and become followers of Jesus and find forgiveness in him. His priority isn't for America to get our politics right. His priority isn't for us to all learn to coexist. His priority isn't for us to end all of the major social problems of our day. His priority isn't for church people to feel fed or to like the music. Now he may care about some of those things, but he cares most about people who are currently lost, for people who are currently on their way to hell. 
And he wants them to discover forgiveness and salvation through Jesus. God's number one priority and our number one priority at Impact is to help people escape hell and enter heaven. We want to change the population of both heaven and hell. We want to see hell have fewer people and heaven have more. That's our goal because that's his goal. And, and that only happens, that only happens when people who have been found, who have found forgiveness and salvation, notice people who are still lost. Notice people who are still in danger. And building real friendships with people who are far from God and gently and lovingly helping them to see Jesus living in your life is just one way to let God use you to help his kingdom come. And using the talents that he gives you to serve others in some way on a consistent basis with compassion and love is a way uh, to move his kingdom forward. And God may call some of you to change career paths or to use your retirement years and to give yourself full time to God in ministry here in our country or in another country to help move his kingdom forward. So if you pray like Jesus, if you have prayed, may your kingdom come, ask yourself, how am I helping to move forward his kingdom? How am I helping to move forward his kingdom. As Jesus teaches us about praying, he reminds us also to take what he wants seriously. To take what he wants seriously. Look again at verse 10. May your kingdom come and what you want be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Taking what he wants seriously may seem pretty much like the same thing as taking his priorities seriously, but I think it's different. I think it's different. Praying, may your kingdom come, seems like a wider focus to me. It deals with the whole world. We don't want his kingdom just to happen here in our church or in our home or in our city or even in our commonwealth. We want it to go national and even international. But when we pray, may what you want be done here, may it be done here on earth as it is in heaven, it seems to become more personal. When I pray, may your will be done here, that includes me. That includes me. It sets the expectation that I'm going to be part of that. I'm responsible for attempting to make what he wants happen here on earth, here in my community. I am personally responsible for making sure that what he wants happens in my home and in my private world. And let's be honest here. We often try really hard to justify how what we want is really what God wants. We try to justify what we want being what God wants. We try to convince ourselves. I had a church member in Arizona who bought lottery tickets every week, and he was convinced that God would pay off our church loan by letting him win the lottery. He just knew that that was God's will for him to win the lottery. Now, the church would have gotten a whole lot less money, or a lot, more, a lot more money, if he had just put the money he was spending on lottery tickets in the offering bag, but it never quite worked that way. I've heard single people convince themselves that God wanted them to be in an immoral relationship to try to win that person to Christ. 
I spent the years of our youngest daughter's life trying to convince God that physical healing on earth was what would cause more people to come to know Christ and therefore Kayla's healing would be God's will. Can I just ask you, what area, where are you trying to convince yourself that what you really want is what God really wants? But did you notice that strange phrase in the passage? There's that strange phrase. Look at it again. Jesus said to pray, may what you want be done here on earth as it is in heaven. May it be done here on earth like it's done in heaven. That's a big statement. When I recite the Lord's Prayer, when I pray this prayer to Jesus, the prayer that Jesus taught me to pray, I'm saying, God, I'm asking that what you want will happen in my life, in my job, in my home, in my church, and in my world, the exact same way that what you want happens in heaven. Wow. Have you thought about that? How is God's will done in heaven? How is his will done in heaven? Well, first, I think it's done willingly. It's done willingly. Here on earth, it isn't always done willingly. I mean, sometimes we know exactly what God wants us to do. We know exactly what his will is. There are things that we don't have to wonder about. There are things that we don't even have to pray about because the Bible is clear about what is and isn't God's will in certain areas. We know, for example, that forgiving people who hurt us, who sin against us, is what God wants. We know that because Jesus said it over and over again. In fact, we're going to look at it in just a couple of weeks in this prayer. And we know that as followers of Jesus, that he wants us to be spending time regularly in church and in growth groups encouraging each other and helping each other. And we know that it's God's will for us to help people who are outcasts and poor and helpless. We know that. We know it's God's will for us to give 10% or more to our church and to avoid gossip and to tell the truth and to avoid sexual immorality and to pay our bills and to speak well of our government and our church leaders, to obey the laws of our land. We know all of those things beyond a shadow of a doubt are God's will. They're things that God wants us to do. And we know that because there's all, they are all things that God has asked us to do in the Bible. We don't have to debate those things. And in heaven, what God wants to happen is done willingly. I don't always do these things willingly. That obeying the laws of the land part going the speed limit even when the speed limit is too slow and stupid. I've told you my right foot isn't saved, but um, I, I've told you before that sometimes when I'm struggling to do what God wants me to do willingly, I just have to be honest in prayer to him and sometimes I just pray something like this. I pray and say, God, I am not willing to do what you want me to do. I'm just not willing to do what you want me to do. But I am willing for you to make me willing. I'm not willing to do what you want me to do, but I am willing for you to make me willing. And he always seems to do that. I've prayed that prayer about forgiving people. I've prayed it about 
overcoming ongoing sin in my life. I want to do what God wants me to do like it's done in heaven. That means I need to learn to do it willingly. Second, in heaven, God's will is done immediately. It's done immediately. Am I the only one that sometimes procrastinates on doing what I know God wants me to do? I mean, it might be talking to somebody about Jesus, or it might be taking a spiritual step. I know people who have known for a very long time that Jesus wants them to cross the line of faith, that Jesus wants them to give themselves completely to him, that Jesus wants them to be baptized, and they're just not getting around to doing it. They've just not gotten around to it. And maybe you know what God wants you to do, that he wants you to be in a growth group and you aren't yet, or that he wants you to volunteer to serve, but each week you avoid going to the next steps canopy or to the action steps table. And maybe you have had this experience that I have sometimes. There are times when Jill and I will have an argument. That still happens after all these years sometimes, we'll, we'll have an argument, and somewhere along the line in the argument, or just after, I will figure out that it's all my fault. I mean, all my fault, that I was an insensitive jerk, or I assumed something wrong, or I got sarcastic and hurtful in the process, and it doesn't take me long to figure out that I was wrong, that I need to apologize, but sometimes it takes me way too long to actually say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. Other times, we don't do what God wants us to do immediately because we're just enjoying do, doing what we want instead. We're enjoying the pleasure of sin or the pleasure of doing what we want to do now hear me clearly there is a word for slow obedience or partial obedience there's a word for slow obedience or partial obedience you know what that word is disobedience it's disobedience remember what jesus's brother james wrote knowing the right thing to do and not doing it is sin it's sin this passage from 1 Peter 2 sets a goal and clarifies what it means to do God's will in our life. Look at what it says. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone. And love the family of believers, fear God, and respect the king. We are supposed to live such honorable lives that people far from God can't make any accusation stick against us. We can't use the fact that we are free in Christ, that we have been forgiven as an excuse to follow the path that, of what we want to do. We need to focus on doing what God wants here in our personal worlds in the same way that it happens in heaven. That involves respecting people and loving each other and obeying God and respecting our leaders. And I don't know about you, 
but I need to not just mouth these words in prayer. I need to look at them closely. I need to figure out what they mean in my life. I need to take him seriously by defining the relationship he and I have and giving him the highest place in my life. I need to take his priorities seriously by seeking to let him use my life to help move his kingdom forward and help others find help and hope in Jesus. And I need to take what he wants me to do seriously by letting what he wants to be done be done in my personal life like it's done in heaven. That means... I have to start learning to obey him willingly and immediately. And those are big challenges. Those aren't easy things. And that's why I need Jesus in my life. That's why I need Jesus. I need him to give me the strength to help me obey him. I am so glad that God is my father that he's a good, good father and that he's cheering me on, that he's encouraging my best, that he's loving me when I fail, that he's forgiving me when I sin, that he isn't harsh, he isn't critical, he isn't anxious to punish me or condemn me. He's gentle and he's kind and he's ready to love us even in the midst of our worst moments. And that kindness and that love should motivate us to follow him more fully. You see, we, we don't respond to fear and threats. We respond to his kindness. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So pray to him. Pray to know him. Take seriously his love for you. And then take seriously his priorities for our world and his will for your personal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we've, we've just spent 30 minutes examining words that we have just kind of mouthed several times in our life. Father, would you help us to take you seriously? Would you help us to know you? Would you help us, Father, to understand who you are, that you're our Father and you're the King would you help us, Father, to be used by you to move your kingdom forward? Father, we want your kingdom to come, to surround us and to surround everyone with your peace and your grace and your mercy. And then, Father, would you help us to obey you? Would you help us, Father, to let what you want done happen in our lives willingly and immediately like it's done in heaven. And Father, we're so thankful that when we falter and when we fail or when we're just stubborn that still you love us. And Father, that grace, that kindness just motivates us to follow after you. Thank you, Father, for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.